fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. We're back in the studio today instead of out fishing or hunting, but we're going to talk about some fishing and hunting. Are you here, Patrick? I am here. Ready for another one. Well, I'm I'm excited. I'm glad to be back, but you know, it's weather's turning. We're uh, getting more into David's fishing season instead of hunting season because most of the hunting's done. There's still a little bit left to be done. It's never done. We have the pleasure of having Mr. John Bass here today with us. Howdy, how are you? <laughs> We're good, man. It's good to have you. Good so, to be here. So John is with the uh, Boyson State Park. Right? Yes, sir. And let's just get a, let's get right into it. Let's get into your background, what you're doing, and why you're here. All right. So uh, I won't have to talk very long. You'll figure out I'm not originally from Wyoming. So <laughs> born and raised in Tennessee. Grew up hunting and fishing on a small farm down there. And when I went to college, I said, well, I want to be a game warden, right? That's what everybody wants to do if you're in the hunting and fishing. And then I figured, well, the game wardens have to work every opening day of every season so i've decided to become a park ranger so my, i went to university of tennessee uh, at martin my first summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college i worked in yellowstone national park so that was my first kind of experience of wyoming in the west i'd never been out here i turned 19 years old in cody wyoming and i said i'm coming back oh right? yeah that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> well i met a girl right you know that that never happens so I met a girl in college and, and uh, started with Tennessee State Park the next summer. So that had been the summer of 02. Started working with them at a place called Real Foot Lake State Park up on the Mississippi River in northwest Tennessee. Duck hunting capital. Awesome fishing. And um, ended up working with them till 2017. So I had 14 years with Tennessee State Parks and ended up marrying that girl. And we'll be married 15 years December 31st this year so um but I've been out here hunting a few times and you know it always had my heart you know whenever I always kind of thought about it but I had a good career going going in Tennessee managed to park uh there for a while and come out here on an antelope hunting trip I had met a guy that worked uh, with Wyoming State Parks and he said man there's an opening at Boyson I was like ah my wife would never move to Wyoming well I went home and I said found the job in Wyoming she said let's go of course the family Sweet. didn't really like it <laughs> but um we decided that uh you know instead of retiring and coming out here when we got older she said let's go while we're still young enough to enjoy it i said okay so i walked away from a half a half a career with tennessee and started all over in wyoming and haven't looked back and we absolutely love it so now people kind of look at us funny they're they're like you moved out here to shoshone from tennessee i'm like yeah and they're like there's not many trees around shoshone it's like well i saw enough trees in the first 36 years i'm good (laughs) (laughs) well you know i I moved out here from oregon which is very similar and i've seen enough rain and trees for the rest of my life too (laughs) i i just want to say welcome to the community i mean it's great to have you here and it is a beautiful place. You talked about, you know, wanting to be a game warden. I was the same way in high school. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a game warden. And then I shadowed one for a while and I was like, I don't want to be a game warden. Part of it is like you said, when everybody's hunting, you're working. I mean, and you're working like 16 plus hour days and can be kind of rough. So talk to us a little bit about what you do with the state parks here. So I'm the superintendent at Boyson. So, uh, there's only three full-time staff there it's the i'm the superintendent we have an assistant superintendent and then a trade specialist and um basically we oversee the the maintenance operations and the you know when we have infrastructure stuff water water lines we've got uh water operations is a is a big part of it we've got a surface water treatment plan a lot of people don't realize that we pull water out of the lake and 
and run it through a microfiltration system, and that provides all the water to the headquarters, Brandon and Tamarest campgrounds, and the marina. Um, so that's a EPA regulated seven day a week, three hundred sixty five day a year. You know, somebody's got to be at the water plant. You know, first hour in the morning usually that's where we're at, and then we've got five other seasonal well services. You know, when you go to Lower Wind River, Upper Wind River, Tough Creek, Fremont, Cottonwood, all those are wells uh, that we operate from May to October. Uh, so we do a lot of that, maintaining campgrounds, maintaining boat docks. Um, I know sometimes people are like get the boat docks in. We try to get them in and uh, move them up and down the ramp when the you know the lake's falling in April and May when they're when they're getting ready for the snowpack runoff and and just to let everybody know i don't control how much water they let out of the dam <laughs> that's that's not a decision that's made by me so we what state parks does is we we manage the uh, the recreation uh, on, on the lake uh, the camping around at the, the boat ramps and trying to keep all that up and going best of our ability yeah and you guys have been very busy with projects and updates and all kinds of different things so tell us a little bit about that yeah we had a uh you know tough creek's one of our, our most popular campgrounds especially with the locals and we had a, a big project this past winter to improve a lot more of those campsites there had been a big improvement project prior to me getting here in 2017 uh with tough creek and that was just like kind of the second phase of it so we got all that completed got some new shelters put up um the cabins were something that were brand new that they actually opened the summer that I started here, uh, the three cabins in Upper Wind River, and they are extremely popular, and they are open year-round. We keep them open year-round. I had uh, actually a real neat group this past weekend. There was uh, all three cabins had a – it was a group of veterans that get together and fly fish every year, and so they chose Boyston State Park this year. Um, so it's good to have them there but fly fishermen they wear them out they they really like them uh, we added that uh, the miners camp uh, i've got the three canvas tents there that you rent a lot of people have questions about that you you rent the whole area so you get all three tents there's two beds per tent and you get the whole area you know when you rent it so uh, that was kind of a first first time thing this summer and we kind of got a late start on it with all the nameless virus i don't want to mention but you know that kind of <laughs> kind of put a kibosh on a lot of people's plans on different things but um yeah and we have a lot of infrastructure stuff um a lot of underground water lines especially around the headquarters in the marina there's been a couple of big projects there in the last couple of years um so always looking down the road and trying to trying to do some improvements had a uh, working with the bureau of reclamation uh, they just did a big pavement project across the dam down the west side and then that parking lot over there um with federal highway safety uh that was kind of a three-part project luckily for us the main thing they needed for me uh, was traffic counts and we have a traffic counter there to justify you know putting that much money into that area and state parks had put quite a bit of money in the road going down the west side a couple of years or probably about five years ago and like me and you was talking earlier i mean mm-hmm. it's it's just so steep it, you just could never keep it from washboarding out um so that's a huge improvement so if you haven't been to the west side over there on the west side of the dam it's it's awesome isn't it mm-hmm. yeah it's a huge improvement yeah um another improvement you know working with other people is the railroad crossing there at tough creek working. thank you by the way for helping <laughs> well, move that along <laughs> that was a that's a big thank you to bnsf yeah they, uh, they come to come to me and said uh, we're, we're wanting to redo that crossing at tough creek and i was like oh thanks that's you know what can we do how do you need our help and they said well we need some road base down there and, and uh do you mind shutting the road down i said whatever you need we'll get it done and however we can help you so that was a really good project too so 
I know the boaters or boaters and campers are happy because that was kind of a rough crossing there. So yeah, you had to go over it at about one point five miles an hour. Otherwise, it was either really one point five or thirty. Either <laughs> either you either had to ease over it or jump it. One of the two oh, so to get over it. That thing was brutal. It so, was. Yeah, I'm glad that's fixed. But it's and also I think I saw a new shelter over off Cottonwood. Yep, got a. Uh, that was part of the. Um, the project with Tough Creek was to put that new shelter over at Cottonwood. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, and and that's an area that that we continually look at because that's so popular with our with our locals. Uh, is is try to you know make improvements over there, but I also hear you know a lot of the locals like don't improve the west side too much because we like it that way, you know. Right. So so it's kind of a balance there, you know, of 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 what improvements do do people really want to see. And, uh, you know, we re- just redid a cattle guard uh, over on South Muddy, you know, to replace it, make it a little bit better. Um, we've got some plans in the future to, to try to mitigate those washboard roads. This summer uh, was such a hot and dry summer. Uh, when those roads get washboarded out, I mean, they're like trying to cut concrete with our 1976 champion road grader, you know. <laughs> so we have to kind of wait on moisture to do it, and we just didn't have it this year. So, so I've already looked into uh, getting a – a water permit through the BOR that we can take water out of the lake, contract out a water truck, and if we have to, you know, grade them behind the water truck. So I'd like to try to do that. That one of my big plans going into next year is, is at least four times next summer is get those roads graded, um, and hopefully we'll have the the funding to do it. And I'm kind of just like we got to make it happen, you know. Yeah. And Cottonwood's a huge one for me and for David because that's the closest access because right. we live west of Boyson. So when we come to Boyson. If we go around the east side, it's a lot of miles, I mean, to get, you know, around down by the dam or down, you know, any of those areas. Right. But if I come up the Cottonwood side, that's really close to my house, so it's a lot easier to access. So right. that'll be great if we can get that road improved. Yeah. Yeah. And really the main thing with the improving is just, you know, getting it graded mm-hmm. and more, more consistently and, and just like since we don't get – mother nature's moisture we're just going to have to put our own on it so we'll we'll just approach it that way well i know as far as the state park i like to and a lot of people recreate out there and there's several species of fish there's carp tournaments out there you got waterfowl you got upland you even have some big game around the lake you know that's i've been out there just water skiing right right i you know uh you know living there moving out here from tennessee you know i grew up water skiing right i mean i was like eight years old in little old creek you know water skiing and and uh behind a jet boat but yeah i mean water skiing surfing wakeboarding of course the fishermen don't always like that all the time out there i've, <laughs> I've and it's funny i've been i've been here almost four years and I, i've been out on the lake i've got a good friend's got a got a wakeboard boat and i've been out there maybe three or four times with him and been out there fishing i think three times so literally i've been out on the lake in four years less than 10 times so i'm more of a mountain guy you know and it, and it's unfortunately I, you know my whole career has been in you know state parks and even in tennessee and it unfortunately it's sometimes hard to enjoy where you work because when i'm out on the lake or i'm around the lake i'm always at work right i'm always looking like oh you know that needs to be fixed or you know that or you know this or that and it's it's sometimes hard to recreate where you work you know but i i I do my best i i try pretty hard this afternoon me and my son will probably go rabbit hunting down at tough creek he's he's seven so he's been wearing me out about rabbit hunting so that's good that's a good way to get kids started on the hunting yeah yeah of course we can talk about that later about starting kids on hunting but mm-hmm. well just, i know for our family our first camp trip every year every season is we go down there to boyson because a it's close we can get all the kinks worked out of the camper and if we forget something from town it's not a big deal and it's 
some nice place to go fish and hang out and it's it makes for an easy weekend right right and you know with uh this year you know with the virus again we went to a hundred percent reservations you know early in the season and well before the reservation season started and we we kind of had mixed reviews on that but overwhelmingly very positive on that a lot of a lot of folks um some folks you know still wish that they could just go out there on a friday afternoon and grab a spot at tough creek well i'm afraid those days are probably gone i mean we've got tough creek was was completely booked out reserved every site almost every weekend this summer um but the advantage to that is you can make a reservation know the site's going to be there before you get there Mm -hmm. and i know previous to this a lot of the you know the on that point down there the south side of the point was all first come first served and a lot of people was like can i reserve this site can i reserve you know 325 you know and it's like it's not on a reservation but it is now so you can you know no matter what your favorite site is in tough creek now you can reserve it now on the west side um since i have this platform on the west side we didn't they at first they was like we need to make everything by reservation and i said you know we can't do that with a lot of places there's a there's a difference between a a designated campsite and an improved campsite you know for sure you know an improved campsite uh, on the west side we can put it on the reservation system like uh, the sandy hills uh, we've got a few sites at fremont the two shelters at cottonwood but i said all those mm-hmm. you know sites on the beach at cottonwood that's what our locals love they love to be able to camp on the beach and 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 not have to get a reservation on it and i said and i said the biggest uh, problem with that is we have somebody from pennsylvania or kansas or wherever they're like oh cottonwood bay that looks like a nice place and then they bring their motor coach down bass lake road onto the gravel and then down onto the beach and that's where they're going to be stuck so yep. i said you know we need to be sure you know we don't put you know all the places on the reservation system that our that our locals really like so trying to trying to keep that west side the way everybody wants it yeah that makes a lot of sense because that can be a treacherous spot if you get down there with a vehicle and that sand because it's really sandy on that side right right i i I suggest everybody if they if they plan on getting on the beach with a truck they need to uh bring a roller carpet or some way to get something out of those tires because my longwood base work truck doesn't do very good on it either so no it's gotta be careful it's rough but no you guys have done a great job and i mean the the volume this year from everything that I read on the news was extremely high in usage. So can you talk about that a little? Yeah, we we've seen just record breaking um, attendance. You know, with our traffic counters and stuff at at every area around the park all summer. Uh, you know, I'm going into going into this summer, there was a lot of trepidation about we're going to have lower lower uh, attendance lower revenues and i said guys i said i i don't think so i said i think we're going to see a record-breaking year i said yeah i think it was back in 07 when i was in tennessee and that was the year of the real high gas prices right you know for three four or five dollars a gallon and uh and they said we're going to see a huge decrease in state parks and i said well i bet we won't well what happened is all the locals stayed local right they still mm-hmm. you know so we we was just as busy as we always had been i think that's what happened this summer is um you know, maybe if people was a little hesitant about getting getting out and going on a long vacation, they just stayed local, used their local parks, and our, our visitation went up. And then the other thing, you know, after, you know, everybody was cooped up for a month, they wanted to get outside. And, I mean, that's what Wyoming is. I mean, we're an outside state. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 I love living out here. I think it's just awesome, you know, because everybody out here, it's funny. You know, you go by people's houses, and the most expensive thing they have is not their house. It's all the toys in the yard. They go enjoy <laughs> everything in the state, right? Yep. You know, I'm like, that's Wyoming, right? So so it's it's awesome. But, yeah, we've had a huge – I think our revenue is going to be way up uh, when it's all said and done at the end of the year. And, yeah, definitely the attendance is way up. 
Yeah, I saw just going to different parks around the state this summer. There were a lot, like if you look at the really hard lockdown states, there were a lot of plates from those places. You know, your your Californias, your Colorados. I mean, there were lots and lots of people that came to Wyoming because I think they thought, well, shoot, I can get out here and get away from people. And then what happened is it got really crowded. I took the I took my wife and four kids up to the Fitzpatrick Wilderness up by Dubois and pulled into the trailhead parking lot there. And we were the only Wyoming plate. I mean, it was, it was nuts. I mean, there were probably 12 or 13 from California. Um, there were a couple from Oregon, Washington, you know, some of those states that were pretty hard on the, on the lockdown. So I was like, man, I think what you're going to see, you know, when we look at the data, as soon as all the year's over, you're going to have a lot of people from those states that were just like, man, I got to get out of here. And so Wyoming looked like a right. prime place to go. <laughs> right. And and hopefully, you know, if they come out here the first time, they'll come out here again. You know, hopefully they're not all like me and didn't move out here. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> I liked it. But uh, but yeah, that, and that's what um, I know. That's what the economics of, of Wyoming, that's really what everybody's starting to look toward is, you know, tourism is sustainable. Yeah. You know, let's get them out here. Let's. Let them spend their money in Wyoming and then send them back home. And once again, sorry, I, I didn't go back home. Last day, but <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe there won't be too many like me. But uh, but yes, try not to be be mad at those out of state tags when you see them because they they do contribute a lot to to the state's economy and to keep our taxes low. You know, so so we want to encourage that for sure. But yeah, um, when we you know we I don't know if you remember back in the spring when we shut down to overnight camping for a little while. And right before we did that, talking about seeing all those out-of-state tags, see what had happened. A lot of people was like, why did you shut down camping? You know, that's not hurting anything. Well, what had happened is Colorado had shut down and uh, other states around us had shut down. And so we started getting inundated, you know. And at that time, there was a lot of like, we don't know which direction this is going, right? We didn't really know much about it and how bad it was going to be. And, and so they just shut it down to, to everybody. And when they reopened it back up, when we, when we went to all reservations, the the main reason that they went to all reservations and set it up in the system that way is so you could exclude non-residents because there wasn't any, there's no statutes or no laws against sure. somebody from Colorado parking in Upper Wind River Campground and me going and saying, hey, you can't park here. Well, there's no law against that. But if they have to make a reservation to get that site, you could vet them through the reservation system. And so that was a way to open it because we opened up to resident camping uh, a full two weeks, a little bit more than, than we did even non-resident camping. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it like Memorial Weekend? Because I, I went to Seminole State Park on Memorial Weekend, and I believe at that time it was still just in-state. Right. And so. <laughs> right. And a lot of people was like, keep it that way. We're like, well, we can't yeah. keep it that way. <laughs> well, it was kind of funny because we, we had our spot that we reserved, and we went there, and we every, every year we meet three families that we're really good friends with from Cheyenne. And so they had adjacent sites. So we pulled in, we parked, and then we, there were like two or three vehicles came in with campers from Colorado and they got set up and did their thing. And I'm like, man, they're going to be in for an awakening, you know, and the ranger came, comes by and he's like, Hey, you guys, you can't park here. And you know, he said, did you see the signs on the interstate? I overheard him talking to them, you know, and they're like, no, I didn't see those signs. But yeah, that was during that time mm -hmm. where it was Wyoming residents only. And, my wife and I were like, you know, if this didn't hurt our state so bad, we could get used to this, having, yeah. having it more to ourselves, but yeah. we definitely need that tourism to yeah. stay alive. Yeah, I'm sure that was Mr. Lonnie Porter there at Seminole. I'm sure yep. that's <laughs> Yeah, Wyoming State Parks is such a small small group. I think uh, like full-time staff in the whole state is only like 80, 80 people. So yep. very uh, big, over, you know, widespread 
division of the state, but but very low on, on number of employees. So we got some real good ones out there. We we try to do a lot with a little, and we appreciate all the the residents of of the state appreciating and, and help taking care of you know what we got. I love seeing people stop and pick up a piece of trash off the side of the road at Boyson because sometimes that happens, you know, and uh, it's just good to see that happen. Take pride, take pride in it, you know. So, can you talk a little bit about you know what the future looks like? Because I know everybody's kind of wondering, you know, what's next year going to look like for state parks? Do you guys have any idea of kind of what next year is going to be like? It's it's kind of you know from what I'm hearing, it's 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 it can be changing a little bit. You know, um, uh, I know uh, our director uh, director Westby is really really pushing to 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 show the importance of state parks and and what a what a huge impact that we have on the the economy of the state has and and uh trying to you know justify our our um our budget that comes out of the general fund so um he's up there fighting fighting a good fight for us and 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 keeping state parks you know in the forefront uh on top of everything and and hopefully uh state parks and and all of our all of our public lands will be a major player in in getting this economy in, in wyoming turned around and back on the back on the right track and so that's just our focus right now is you know keep maintaining what we got improve where we can you know with what we can and why we can and and just keep pushing forward that's all we can do you know you know coming out of something like this and you know you look back and like well there's only one way and that's that's up and forward so let's go you know Mm -hmm. so what we'll need a lot of support from you know from the people of wyoming to 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 make that happen so if you were going to pitch boyson state park to somebody and tell them why they should come visit what would you tell them oh man that's a hard question (laughs) you know i remember okay so i'll just go back to the first time i ever saw it right it was i was on that antelope hunt my buddy i was up in 10 sleep and uh, he had told me about the job and we had finished our antelope hunt early and we was coming back down through the middle of wyoming and i'd been to wyoming before on the you know the yellowstone i'd been on the uh the east side too but i'd never been down through wind river canyon right so we come through wind river canyon it's five of us you know five country good old boys from tennessee in this white rental van we look funny uh but coming through <laughs> wind river canyon and we looked like you know kids at a at a toy store with our faces pressed to the windows of this van coming through wind river canyon and i was like wow look at this and i was like the river's flowing the wrong way what is it doing it's going you know it's it's, it's, it's still trippy it's still trippy but uh but we we come through and then we come to the tunnels right we come out of that last tunnel that said welcome to boyson state park lower wind river campground i was like hey 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 pull in here pull in here we pulled in there i got out of the van i looked around of course the magpies i like magpies are cool but looking around at the canyon and the river and I looked at my father-in-law was on that trip, by the way. My father-in-law looked at me and he said, don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got it's back in the late. van. Too late. Done thought about it. <laughs> got back in the van and we kept on going when we topped the hill there at the dam. And this huge reservoir, because I had no idea. You know, I didn't didn't have any preconceived notions of what I was going to see. And when I saw that huge reservoir, I was like, it's like an oasis in the desert. You know, it really is. And that it's funny, I saw that on a on a poster down at the Riverton Airport, you know, it's like voice an oasis and oh, oh, let's see, Oasis on the Wind, I think is what it was called. But but um but you know, somebody that, that wants to find a you know, a reservoir in Wyoming that, that is not just super crowded with people because it's big enough, everybody can get spread out, you know, we've got boat ramps all around it. Um and I mean there's something to do year round. You know, some some state parks they're pretty slow in the winter time, 
Um, and we definitely slow down, but the ice fishing is, I mean, it's pretty popular. Uh, and I kind of got into it a little bit last year. I got a good buddy that's excellent at ice fishing. And I was like, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm from Tennessee. I'm from the South, you know, ain't what one man ever walked on water and it ain't been me, you know? So, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, the ice fishing was kind of, kind of new this year and got enough confidence that I did take my camper out there. So, but y'all be careful. Uh, don't, <laughs> this, this was beginning of February. It was just, I think the ice was 18 inches thick, you know, down there on the South end, but, um, just be, that's, I always remind people be super careful out there. Look out know. for pressure ridges. Pressure ridges. <laughs> yep. 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 No, do not drive around on the lake at night because you cannot mm. see. So uh, I think last year we we did pretty good. We didn't have anybody go through maybe a four wheeler or something, but but nothing bad. Yeah, and people do die from that. So yeah, definitely be careful. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I was well. Actually, what let's see, what day was that Sunday? Um, I was chucker hunting up above. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There's Ch- some chuckers up there. Well, yeah. That, well, now that I was up above uh, Thermopolis, but we do have a few mm-hmm. few around the park. And uh, I was up above Thermopolis on Lower Cottonwood Creek, and you know, of course, shot a chucker, and it died on the side of a cliff face on the other side of the creek. You know how they are? They're crazy. And so uh, when I went across the you know small creek, I was fine. You know, the ice didn't break. Kind of went across there. You know, climbed 15 vertical feet up to get the chucker off the side of the cliff and come back down and when i went back across that ice went through with me and i went up over my waist in that <sighs> in that creek and luckily it's you know 35 40 degrees you know outside so i didn't freeze to death but but yeah i mean that's the thing about wyoming it, it can go bad real fast and you're in big trouble chuckers so. are one of my favorite birds because they they know the definition of vertical those things they can go up and over rocks and everything else just so fast what confuses me about them the first times, the first few times I saw them was instead of just going from the bottom of the mountain to the top and just flying, they will hop, skip, flutter, jump, whatever they do, all the way up the side. Instead of just flying to the top, I, mm-hmm. it's such a weird little bird, you know. They're like crazy. Our deputy, our deputy director Dave Glenn, I was he's a he likes upland bird hunting. And I'd never done any chucker hunting. He was talking about chucker hunting. And I said, well, where do you find them at? And he said, you know, when you're walking along and you think, man, this is getting pretty rough. I need to unload my shotgun. He said, that's where you find them. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And that has been the, one of the truest statements I've ever heard about, you know, chucker hunting out here. They live in some awesome terrain. But yes, they do. I'm not going to hunt a bird that laughs at me. <laughs> <laughs> they do, too. You should hear them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. They're a wild bird, but I don't blame people. But yeah, they they laugh at you as you chase them up the hill, and then you get up there, and then they just fly down, and they're back down at the bottom, laughing at you some more. Yep, yeah, but they are delicious. Oh man, they're good to eat. You know, but I, I, I'm 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 sure the uh, calorie uh, expenditure per intake on a chucker's way off balance. It's I'm sure great. you. It's great for getting in shape, right? Right. <laughs> right. You spend a whole lot more calories chasing them than you ever do out of eating them. That's for sure. So, you know, coming out here out west, what was what was some of the biggest changes from Tennessee? Oh, man. Uh, it's a little windier out here, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, you kind of get used to that. And, you know, the, the cold weather, it was funny. We moved out here the uh, end of January of 2017. We moved out here in the middle of winter. And uh, I started work on a Monday, and we, we got here on a Wednesday and that Saturday – uh, my wife and of course at the time my son was what three and a half and a couple of friends helped us move they's like well let's go to jackson to the tetons and do the the elk refuge you know sleigh ride behind the horses and it, nobody's ever done that you have to go do that right so we got in the car in in the garage of the house there at boyson and she started her car up and it said negative 26 and she said 
I'm not sure I'm going to be able to handle this. And I was like, ah, you can, you can put on more clothes, but if you keep taking them off, they're going to arrest you. You know, so uh, you can always put on more clothes. Um, you know, getting used to the winters, but the winters, um, me and my wife have found, we, I mean, we look forward to the winters, right? Because there's stuff to do. I mean, we love to ski. We have awesome snowmobiles, had them for a couple of years, but now my son, you know, he's seven. So last year was his first year skiing without me helping him so he's he's on his own now but so we every pretty weekend during the winter we're usually at metal arc we like to go up to the metal arc mm-hmm. it's you know pretty low key not about two hour drive for us so but just getting used to um we're not really getting used to but just embracing the outdoor life you know tennessee you know like i said i grew up hunting and fishing i'll go back there for, for christmas and and probably do some hunting and fishing while i'm there but just the freedom of not being confined to 60 acre parcel to deer hunt on you know when you can get out here and walk in a direction and you won't hit you know private ground i mean you'll, you'll be dead before you hit private boundary you know you, you can walk so far without without uh, having to worry about it and one of the is it randy newberg real big on the public landowner stuff man that's so true you know you're out there and i always encourage people you know uh, it's your land you know take care of it you know treat it like you own it because you do and having that ability to 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 do that i mean the people of wyoming are so lucky to, to have as much as we do and i think per you know Percentage-wise, we have more public land than any other state, I believe. Maybe not Alaska. Alaska's probably got a bunch. But but having lived in some of those states, you know, I'm accustomed to having all this state, you know, public free access ground. Just go, right? right. And what you're talking about is, I mean, I can go park my truck and hike for two, three days and not hit the end of the parcel I'm hunting and not discover it all and not utilize it all. Versus I was just back east here a couple of weeks ago and everywhere you turn is another no trespassing sign, you know, and you've got to know somebody. And even if you know somebody, like, well, my other buddy's hunting this year, so maybe next year. Right. Yeah. And, and what, what it was what was turning into back east was um, a lot of places were getting leased up. And I don't blame people for leasing. I just, you know, I work for the state. I didn't couldn't couldn't afford to pay a lease to go deer hunting you know but a lot of farmers and ranchers back east was doing that just to to regulate who was on it you know when i was growing up i mean between my uncles and family friends and stuff i, I figured it out one time i had like two twenty five hundred maybe three thousand acres that i had access to and could hunt on like you know when i was little well you know now you know looking back if we were still back there and my son i would have probably you know maybe 400 acres uh, you know that i would still have free access to 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 go and hunt you know and so you know it was it was kind of a uh, definitely adjustment moving away from family and coming out here but it was just something me and my wife felt in our heart that we had to do and needed to do and and we did and i asked her the other day i said i said uh we ever gonna go back to tennessee she's like yeah to visit so <laughs> yeah so, yeah, so well, she could sign for yeah, you yeah she loves she yeah she loves oh yeah i mean she she absolutely loves it my son loves it you know of course and and we knew this before we moved out here so when we when he goes back to tennessee he he, he went back a couple of weeks in the summer and of course we'll go back for christmas and and uh, so tennessee is the wild place for him right so when i come to wyoming for the first time it was so out of everything i'd ever known so it's you know this is my wild place but i know one of these days when he gets older and adult he'll probably wind up back in tennessee you know because it's the wild place it's the exciting place for him you know but we got him for what another 12 years anyway before he before he's 18 and he's out of the house so teach him teach him about hunting and fishing out here if you get him hooked on elk hunting he'll probably stay here yeah he uh the first year you know we were still non-residents that first winter so we got a couple of uh cow elk tags and I, I shot my first elk and he was actually asleep uh, on a dry patch where there wasn't any snow it's like the middle of december and he was asleep on a dry patch about six feet from my seven mag gun when i shot and he never woke up 
like 30 minutes later, he finally woke up and I was like, Hey buddy, I killed an elk, you know? And so he's all excited. <laughs> so he's been on a few elk hunts. The bull elk hunts has kind of been the limiting factor for him. You know, I, I archery hunt for bulls and, and my wife got a bull with her, right? She pulled a bull tag the next year and got it, got that. But my wife, she, uh, she hunted some in Tennessee. Um, but out here she's really gotten into it. So she, she killed a, another cow elk this year. So she's drew, we've been here four winters and she's drew three elk tags and filled every one of them. So she's a hundred percent on three elk tags. So I told her, I said, you're defying the odds on those elk tags. I've, I've ate a couple of the last two years. First year I got a, or got a cow. And then the next year I was able to get my first bull with a bow. Well, first bull ever. I mean, it was, but it was with archery. And so now it's kind of hard to go back and say, I'll shoot one with a rifle. You're like, ah, if we need meat for the freezer, I'll let her shoot a cow or something. <laughs> but, but now, so, uh, she got, uh, her first mule deer this year got it with a crossbow first ever muley and killed it with a crossbow so she's she's up for adventures you know she's you know embracing the woman lifestyle too and our son he he's right there along with us everywhere we go because you know we don't really have the family support system of hey grandma grandpa let's keep tucker while we go hunting you know we got some good friends that's uh that's watched him just a couple of times but most of the time he's just right there with us and he's gonna hopefully he'll look back on it one day and like man mom and dad took me drug me all over the mountains and the prairie and the desert and everywhere else you know but everything we do we do together and I, it's so important you know and you showed me that picture of him you know with some huge trout you know from boyson i mean the the fishing there is insane. Like in, in getting a little boy on something like that, that's that's awesome. Oh yeah, he's he's ruined on on trout fishing. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he'll he'll never truly comprehend, you know how you know that that six limit of trout. We were out with a good friend in his boat on the lake trolling, and and uh, yes, I did uh, take my son out of school to go fishing, but uh, <laughs> we. Uh, put it down as a they put it down as an outdoor education day with dad and it was an Perfect. excused absence right we yeah. yeah but uh so we i lined a six six trout limit up there out of boyson and and it was 19 pounds two ounces and they was 123 inches long so if whenever you know if he ever beats that for a trout limit i'm not i'm not sure if he ever will i mean me and you was talking about those 20 inch trout when you get out there on the lake they're just one right after another if you if you hit them right and they're just phenomenal mm. fishing yeah david knows we got david on some of those and those those fish fight so well i mean they're a blast and when you're a little kid i mean he's he's never gonna forget that oh no he was winching them in you know he just you know because they we wasn't stopping the boat from trolling and he's just yeah just struggling with everything he's got you know to get them in and i was like don't drop my buddy's pole in the water you know? <laughs> don't let go of the pole that's the main thing. but yeah so and then his first um he killed his first rabbit and i you know I, I don't know how many people out there have have young kids bringing them up hunting and um i like how wyoming has kind of the big game the 12 year old limit you know tennessee doesn't really have that you can five six years old but the thing i think about raising my son out here is is it's so important one of my forefronts is teaching there's a difference between harvesting and killing and let's not not try to spoon feed it to somebody getting in the hunt let's make it where it's a challenge you know so they want to do it again you know sometimes if you make it too easy it's it's boring like you know, leading from the, the trout fishing trip, that's almost too easy, right? You mm -hmm. know, so when he goes and he actually has to work for trout, he's going to be like, well, this is no fun, you know. And I think hunting's the same way. But when he, he – you know, I finally let him go rabbit hunting. We went rabbit hunting, and, and uh, he shot his first rabbit. The the way he was shaking and the excitement that he had, you know, it was like – I mean, just looking back, that's what got me into it. And then, of course, as you get into hunting, the more you – every every year, you know, you get buck fever, right, or bull fever out here or whatever it might be, and you, you try to squat those emotions right so you're not nervous and you do make a good shot and then but that's the whole reason that you do it right <laughs> yep so you're like trying to suppress all of those so now i think I, i'm at a point where 
I'll get to shaking uncontrollably after the shot. That's that's the key. That's when you know you've been hunting long enough, right, David? Is when you get the buck fever after the shot, but you can control it before. And we've lost something in our society where you know there's this whole movement anti hunting, anti people have not brought up and raised this way, don't understand the conservation aspect, which we need to be better stewards about propagating. But at the same point in time, you know, I just go back to that. Last night I took my boy, you know, we went out, I've got a, just a doe tag, type six tag. You know, we're just sitting and I let him look through the scope a couple of times, a couple of different deer and they're cross Creek. And I wasn't, I'm not too antsy about working too hard. It's, we're going to have a nice, easy, you know, but he just getting to look through the scope. Dad, there's the deer right there. Dad, it's right there. I'm like, yeah, it's right there. Just calm down, settle down. We need to do better about, I think about tofu and all this, this movement about, hey, I'm going to be vegan and sustainability. And our, our wild game is a sustainable. You, you look at the white-tailed deer, the turkey, the North American elk, look at all their populations from the turn of the century, 1900s till today. I, I don't remember, you're talking like 500,000 white-tail to 32 million now. Right. I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such a big push nowadays, you know, the, the 100% organic. I mean, what's more organic than an elk out of the Wind River or Bighorn Mountains or anywhere, you know, or, or deer or rabbit or anything. Rainbow uh, trout. Rainbow yeah. trout. I mean, I mean, uh, 100% all organic. It, my, my big thing was that is we, I think what the hunting community has to be careful with is we don't want to be judged for w- what we're passionate about. So we also don't want to judge others for what they're passionate about. If you're passionate about eating, eating lettuce every day, go for it. That, no, but don't tell me how to, you know, what I should be eating, and I won't tell you what you should be eating. And I think that's where where people need to get on the same page with stuff, you know, with with any kind of belief, especially you know, in the the environment that we are today. Is it so much? Uh, I think judgmental on how you know what you believe. If you believe differently than somebody else, then you're a bad guy. No, that's not. Everybody needs to say as long as you're not hurting anybody with your beliefs, then. It's fine, right? But there's always that one at bad apple that gives the whole bunch of it bad does. name, right? And Patrick and I joked about this a couple times going out fishing is the I trash the fishing hole starter pack is <laughs> is a worm container. Worm <laughs> container, a pack of cigarettes, and an energy drink. That every time we go, those are the three things I pick up. I'm like, What mm-hmm. you went to the store and bought this stuff to go fishing and enjoy our state park or our public land or wherever, take it out with you. That's right. right. Yeah. Do you remember Dan Marty? I do, yeah. yeah He's so, up at Buffalo Bill now. Yeah, one year we, I got a group of kids up at the college and we went down there just to, so you know where the spillway of the mm-hmm. dam is, just from there and about 50 feet down, we had 200 pounds of garbage that we right. picked up. And I mean, there were probably six, seven of us, but we picked up nails from pallets people burned up. We picked up worm cartons, beer cans, energy drinks you know, soda bottles, you name it. And it, it just, <laughs> it's its one of those things where it's like, man, we've got to teach our, our youth because there's a lot of people out there that just don't have any regard, you know, for, for the gift that they have because Boyson State Park is a gift. Right. I mean, it's a wonderful place to go. And so just trying to remind people, pick that stuff up. And we probably had, I don't even know how much fishing line we picked up. And that stuff is nasty, you know, especially one as an angler, you get hung up on that stuff when somebody throws it in the water. And it causes problems, but also wildlife. It's hard on the wildlife. And so, yeah, David's right on. I mean, if we could just help people understand, we got to clean up after ourselves, you know, as hunters and fishers. I think we, we do ourselves a good service there. Yeah, and, and that's something that I've, I've uh, 
I mean, you get around the you get around the lake, especially there below the dam. It can be a bad spot. And you talking about pallets, you know, nails from pallets. Um, just for reference' sake, that is considered uh, littering if you're burning pallets in your fire rings because they do have nails in them. So, um, and then glass bottles, you know, that's a, that's yeah. a big thing around the lake. You know, that's something that uh, the rangers will will issue citations for if you have glass bottles out on those beaches because you know, um, like we can go to Cottonwood and take a shovel and. I can take one shovel full and pick a piece of glass out of it, you know, and that, you know, where kids can't walk around with, with barefoot. A lot of people are like, why do you have a law against glass bottles? Well, just go out there on the beach barefoot and you'll know why. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something we've really tried to watch is, and the pallets too, you know, I know Poison Creek's a, a problem there for years and years. There's been pallets burnt right there at Poison Creek and where people try to back their boats in. So I had a seasonal last year, went and with a magnet and a shovel. And I think he got a half a five gallon bucket full of rusty nails out of there. So the main thing is, yeah. And I don't, I don't think people really do it maliciously. I think it's like you said, I I just don't think uh, they've been told any different, you know, that, that can be a big issue, you know, with stuff like that. Um, But yeah, just, just policing after yourself. And I mean, we, we are our own, own enforcement, right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a, just an ethical thing. You know, with hunting, fishing, camping, whatever it might be, you know, you know what's right, do it. So. Yeah, exactly. So I usually just throw a, uh, you know, when you're making your lunch to go on your fishing trip, throw an extra gallon bag in your lunchbox. Obviously take all your trash that you took with you, but try and fill that gallon bag up. You know, and if everybody was to just do that, it'd be a lot better than trying to send three guys out there for a whole Saturday hauling 200 pounds of trash out. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was an epic haul, I'll tell you that. Because we found one of those pits where people burn stuff all the time. Um, you know, so there were we didn't have a magnet, but we picked up nails like crazy. But getting uh, kids into fishing and hunting, what a you know, obviously you you touched on part of it is a lot of people arrange for the babysitter and then go do it themselves. You know, and I've had kind of a similar background of view of hey, if I was going to go today, <laughs> the kid's going with me or I'm not going. Right. What What are some tips of making that? successful well so i you know I've, I've been hunting and fishing ever since i can remember right what i have to remind myself is i've had those dynamite days i've had those days by myself or with good friends where i have you know really worked on the ducks or, or great deer hunts or something like that and you know i got a i got a little son i got a son now you know it's it's his turn to learn and it's my turn to kind of take the back seat and just because i don't think i'm gonna get a limit by taking him or you think it's gonna make your you're not you're not going to catch as many fish or see as much game. Well, that's not why you're going anymore. You know you're not going for you anymore. You're going for him, and and I think um, that's what I have to remind myself sometimes. You know we we went duck hunting the other day, right? So we're in this field. This is a great example. In this layout, we found a bunch of ducks coming in a field, and a buddy of mine he brought his um, eight year old son, and I had my seven year old son, and I'm laying down in the layout blind with him, and he's got my youth model twenty gauge, which he said he could shoot, right? And I said, well, I think it's going to kick you too much. He's oh no, daddy, I can do it. I'm like well, we'll let you learn the hard way. So we were trying to come, and we had mallards trying to land on our blind, right? And so I was coming up out of there, and he was kind of, I was kind of holding him and helping him aim the gun, and you know he'd just just get one shot off, and we didn't. Well, he there was a duck that fell, and he claimed it, and I'm not going to take it away from him. Um, <laughs> not going to take it away. From <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to tell him any different because he was so excited he killed his first mallard, right? But I, he he wasn't anywhere close to it. But that's okay. Um, but uh, but the thing with that is, if it would just been me and, me and my my friend instead of us taking our two boys to, to let them have this experience, we'd have killed our limit of mallards, no problem, right? We we walked out with I think four ducks instead of eight, but those those two boys killed those four ducks, right? 
that's that's the difference you know you look back like, man i could have really worked on them but looking at the smiles on them i've got a, I'll, I'll show y'all guys a picture of it here in a minute but um but i think that's what it is you got to realize your passion for it and how you got passionate about it somebody sacrificed their hunt or their fishing trip to take you at some point and so that's what we have to do get, that, our, get our youth the, in there the pass it on model that right. you know i've gone on a few and you can still have a balance as a father right you can this weekend i'm taking the boys trout fishing and you know we may or may not get a limit and next weekend i'm going with the guys and we're gonna you know we're going after big big walleye all night and we're you know kids aren't going because a they're going to be cold b they're going to want to quit see it's you know late at night and so there's you got to balance that still and still go get some of the recreating you want to do done but right. definitely we've talked about this several times before when you're passing it on you definitely need to check the expectations and like three weeks ago we took went out and went deer hunting on the same tag with my boy because it's just something him and i've been doing and we have i mean my wife got an elk i got an elk the, the freezers are fine the, the this doe tag is more hey let's take the boy hunting and you know it was really cold we had that cold snap here a couple of weeks ago and we got up to the, the little bench I like to glass on him, and he'd been there about five minutes. And we, he had him dressed up with coat and gloves and his snow pants, and he was still getting cold. And the wind was blowing just enough to make it miserable. We were there a couple minutes, and I said, all right, let's go back to the truck. And it's a 20-minute haul back to the truck. My brother ended up staying there, and five minutes later, they saw deer. But it wasn't about harvesting a deer. It was about getting him out in the field and having that experience and those memories. Right, right. And and I, I try to watch on how, how miserable it is. You know, if you know it's going to be miserable, it might not be the best uh, experience for them sometimes. Um, so you kind of have to kind of gauge that, as to, you know, because you don't want to make it. You want to make it where they want to they want to do it again you know so so it's i think it's a fine balance kind of a riding the fence of you don't want to make it too easy but you don't want to make it too hard either you know and i don't know what that balance is different for everybody i think Uh, but that's what i'm constantly thinking about even with you know with my wife you know because she's kind of just got into hunting out here you know a little bit more than she did in tennessee and and uh, that first when she had that bull elk tag i i think i flirted with the uh making it too miserable on covering a lot of ground one day but i mean when when she finally killed her bull and she, we got him up out of that canyon she was like never again i'm never doing this again <laughs> and uh, i told her i put her in for another elk tag this year and she's like oh no and i was like yeah it'll be all right well we we killed she killed her cow in that same canyon except deeper down in it and she helped me cut it up and a friend of ours was with us and i deboned one of those hams put it in my backpack and said here you go i'm gonna keep working on her you take it up to the ranger you know and it, i mean it was a foot of snow and uh temperature was dropping from 20 to 10 and snowing on us and she was smiling the whole way when she left she was smiling i was like she won't be smiling when she gets back come back she was still smiling again so i was like you've come a long way since <laughs> since a couple of years ago <laughs> and so she's like yeah it's still measurable but i've got a better outlook on it and, and and we and we we process all of our own meat so that's another thing that you know I've, I've got a grinder and so tucker's got his own knife and cutting board and he hadn't lost any fingers yet. he still got all of them but he he's completely involved in in filling our freezers up you know I'm, i remember when he was he was before we even moved out here we were still in tennessee and we were eating some deer and uh, he asked me he said uh, he said who you know he was not quite three years old maybe just turned three and he said uh, daddy who who killed this deer and i said well you know it's the one that i you know i got last week or whatever okay well the next night we was eating like a beef steak she, he said you know like little kids do who killed this cow and i was like hmm like walmart <laughs> well the next night was eating chicken right and we have a kroger down you know in, in the south and and he said who killed this chicken and i was like kroger and so for a long time there if you ask him who killed cows he'd say walmart and who killed chickens he'd say kroger <laughs> you know and so but he knows now i mean and that's i think it's really important that 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 kids we kind of hit on it earlier or anybody not kids i mean i'm just talking about anybody 
realizes that uh, where their food comes from and not just meat but i mean their produce and everything else i mean the farmers and ranchers that's huge out here and it's it's very most people in wyoming understand but you know you don't mm-hmm. have to go far for, to lose that understanding you know where people oh i got a really good analogy of you know all our uh, wetlands They're, those are all restored with wildlife dollars right that come from guys buying duck stamps to go duck hunting that's where that a majority of that funding comes from and then you have people that go out on those some of those same restored wetlands and want to photographer birds which is great i think it's a great hobby a great passion but you need to ask them have they bought their waterfowl stamp for the year to fund that conservation and i bet you nine out of ten will say no they haven't yeah Right. And that, that speaks on, I mean, if we were to take all the fish out of boys and take all the small game, take all the big game, take all that upland around it, you'll have a few people camping and a few people water skiing, but you're not going to have the amount of traffic that you guys have. Right. Yeah. And I, and, and I, you know, with, it's just the education, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've, I've got a, went to UT Martin, I've got a, you know, bachelor's in natural resource management and went on and got my master's too. And so I've been through all those classes. I've, you know, all those natural resource classes talking about the duck stamps and, and, and the money and the, the taxes on ammo and guns that 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 provide you know for conservation and and you know whether they want to admit it or not i mean a lot of our species that are thriving today would not be thriving without the dollars of hunters and fishermen i mean that's we the one's been supporting the conservation effort for over 100 years now and we know it but i don't think everybody else realizes it but there's a lot of money that comes from hunters every year and, and of course there are easy arguments like well you just conserve them so you can kill them well no we i, I don't kill them I, I harvest them and you have no idea what that means to me how heavy of a thing that is and that's what i'm trying to teach my son is you know even rabbit hunting they're like oh it's just a rabbit well that rabbit's life ain't no less important than mine is to me you know so if we if we harvest him we're gonna eat him and you know in, in order for what well, i used to say in order for one animal to live and another plant or animal has to die that's just that's just how the world works and the more understanding i think people can get out of that and truly understand it then, then the better off the whole world would be, I think. But I've noticed the more concrete you're surrounded by, the, the less your feet actually touch and engage with nature, the more you start thinking about, oh, well, Walmart kills beef and they just grow it in the back and they'll just kill some more next week. We're fine. They think it's <laughs> this perpetual meat machine that nothing had to die, that they just dial in meat, press start, and meat pops out of the machine in the back. Right, right. So, I mean, one of my favorite, well, I don't watch a whole lot of hunting shows because some of them I don't really care for, but my favorite one's Meat Eater, you know, Stephen Ranella. I think, I think the message personally i think the message that he tries to send is really really good you know get, getting becoming a part of, of of what you're eating really engaging with it he does a really good job i think so i i, I think that's kind of the direction you know call, you know hunters need to go instead of the of course i got my trophy pictures right you know bull elk mm-hmm. or big deer you know you're you're proud of them but I, that feeling and it's kind of hard to describe but like let's say my my man my bull elk that i got with a bow you know when you walk up on that and there's there's such a big animal right and the feeling that i get of kind of uh excitement man I, I can't believe i got one and then it, by the same token it's like oh man what a beautiful animal you know feel kind of bad i don't but, know i i usually go oh man what did we just do this is gonna be a couple <laughs> days of work you're right yeah that was a that was a uh, epic, epic pack out that's a long story that's for another show but but yeah just the the feeling that you get when you walk up on anything that you harvest you know like the other day i was on the bighorn river and uh, shot my first widgeon i duck hunt a lot in tennessee and widgeons are not rare i just happened to never be on a hunt where one was you know where i got one so i shot my first widgeon the other day and i had to appreciate that duck man i just sat there and stared at it. i took some pictures of it you know but i just i don't know i'll i'll go to bat any day your your true hunters and conservationists are the people that love nature and, and the outdoors and will protect it the most out of anybody you know because they're so such a big part of it such a big part of their life I, I look back like what would i do if i didn't hunt and fish 
and recreate outside. What do other people do, right? Yeah. And it, it's hard for me to comprehend. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I noticed things like we'll have people come and visit our, our farm, our little family farm. And I noticed really quick that things are different because, you know, when we when we catch fish, so we fillet the fish out. And I started doing something with walleye recently where I make stock out of the walleye bones and different things like that. Things that people would normally do. Every time we eat a chicken, we make stock. We, we utilize as much as possible. And I have a lot of people that look at me like, what are you doing? You know, like how, like, what, what do you, why would you do that? And I always try to explain to them, like whether it's peeling a cucumber to feed to my family, I'll take that, those peelings and feed them to our rabbit who makes pellets that go into our compost, which makes fertilizer for our garden. Like we try to make it a full cycle with everything that we have and we try to utilize as much as possible. And why would we do that? Because we care about the resources that we have and we want to make those resources go as far as possible. And so I've been really trying to teach the kids about, it's really easy just to throw everything in the garbage. It's really easy to not utilize that resource. But when you expand your mind, kind of like Steve does with his book, you know, with that meat eater cookbook, Mm -hmm. there's so much you can do with that animal and with the parts of that you get. And it's just kind of cool to show people that may be from that concrete jungle that you were talking about that, yeah, you can do more with this. And let me tell you about it and let me show you. And they're like, oh. Well, I didn't know you could do that. You know, like the walleye stock blew a bunch of people's minds. But I'll tell you, last night we had a smoked trout chowder and I used the walleye stock for the, the base for that. It was so good. And that's such a good resource that you just have to know how to use it. Right, right. Know how to harvest it, know how to use it. And that's mm-hmm. a good idea. I don't catch enough walleye to make a stock. Maybe I'll have to go fishing with you. You have to come fishing. Yeah, because <laughs> it's really good. Man, it's amazing stuff. Yeah, you know, you just talking about the concrete jungle. You know, that would be, a, and Renella did it on, on one of his shows, but I think it'd be neat to kind of do a, a swap out. You know how they do that wife swap, which is such a sh- silly show, but maybe like a life swap, you know. Cause, mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody put me in the middle of, you know, downtown New York City, you want to talk about entertaining, right? <laughs> that would be an entertaining show to watch. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and take somebody from downtown New York City and put them in the middle of Wyoming. Stick them in Shoshone and say, Stick. hey, you're going to go hang out on Boyson and catch fish today for dinner. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that'd be kind of a kind of a neat concept of a show. You know, people people that's used to that, they come out to Wyoming and they're, you know, walking through the mountains and they, they get scared, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's so foreign to them. I've been with people, you know, they're like, man, are you not scared of, you know, the bears and the wolves? Well, I'm not scared of them. I respect them. Rather, I found a grizzly bear den. Mule deer hunting this year is kind of neat, but but I mean I respect them, but I feel way safer right here than I would in downtown of any big city. Oh yeah, right. I, mean, I have my pistol on me either 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 place, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I won't have to use it on a grizzly bear, you know. But yeah, um, but I swap out the the hard cast buffalo boar when I'm in the woods for the hollow points for in town. But yes. <laughs> The yeah. thing I want to touch on real quick is, you know, we'll get around to it. But, you know, I've seen this across multiple different hobbies, you know, in the fishing and hunting realms, and it's trophy shaming. And it, it comes down to I fly fish, I bow hunt, I also bait fish, I also gun hunt. And, you know, a trophy to me, my one of my most favorite pictures I have is my son was four or five. We went out doe antelope hunting and, you know, we got a doe in an alfalfa field. Yeah, it was cheating. And I've killed some other pretty nice stuff, but I've got that photo. I look at that one photo and that should speak to everybody of, you know, my little four-year-old kid's got his arm around my neck and he's got a big smile on his face and he got to wear his knife on his belt and put his camos on and get his boots on and get to go with that. Again, it was a doe antelope. I mean, if you've been to Wyoming, it's not really that big of a deal. Right, right. (laughs) But, and, and I get, I think some of this 
at least in the big game realm of this trophy shaming comes mostly from back east of hey where is where is he on the hit list what's his name aren't you sure he needs one more year and if you're hunting 300 acre parcel where you can do that style management great more power for you and yes the thing i've seen is you pull into a gas station and you know a father and son have a spike elk in the back of their truck and they're you know high five and really glad and then you get some crotchety old hunter walks over and goes you know, it's, it's out-of-state hunters like you that the reason we don't have any big bulls around here. It's like, you don't know. Maybe that, was, that wasn't a father-son. Maybe that was, you know, a guy taking his, some kid for his first hunt ever and filled his tag and said, hey, I'm going to provide food for you and your family. for You don't know the circumstances. And you know what? Maybe that was that kid's first hunt ever. You need to walk over and say, congratulations. Now, on the other side of that coin, I think if you talk to somebody and all they ever do is go out and shoot spike elk, you should say, hey, you know, why don't you, you've obviously learned to where the elk are and how to harvest them. Why don't you hold out a little bit so that we can, you know, keep the population at a healthy balance? That's a different conversation and much more tactfully to do than just screaming at somebody that they've got the wrong thing, use the wrong equipment, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say that a lot. And, and I think part of from being back east and, and i remember those days when i was you know white-tailed deer hunting and somebody kill a little you know basket rack eight point like man you need to let him go another year right but you know looking back on that i think why, why that's so big back there is because of the small parcels because if you've only got 100 acres to hunt you don't want your neighbors shooting the small bucks either or you're never going to see a big buck so i think that's why it's more prevalent back there that you're seeing it because that's the only way they can manage for 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 big bucks is to kind of try to shame everybody else into not shooting little ones but by the same token i mean there's guess what that person that just shot that little bull or buck or or whatever it might be, um, they're out there doing the same thing you're doing because they love to do it. And ain't no sense in shaming them over that. I mean, oh. that's what we love to do. So, I mean, like you was talking about pictures. So, my one of my favorite pictures, we have a wall in the house, and I, I go to canvas, uh, canvasdiscount.com, and I make cam, you know, get canvases made out of these cell phone pictures that I take. And one of my favorite ones was last winter. We were rabbit hunting. And I shot a rabbit with my recurve bow. Oh, so yeah. I missed him the first shot, got him the second shot, 25 yards, killed a rabbit with my recurve bow. You'd have thought I just killed a bull elk. Of course, my son was right next to me, you know, and he was so excited. Um, but I've got that picture of me holding that rabbit, my recurve, and my son's got the two arrows, you know, and he, you know, we're all excited. And it was just like, wow, you know, that's a cool experience. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when – no matter what day it is, when you lay down to go to sleep, I hope everybody looks back. I, what one thing we ask our son a lot, you know, you know, what was what was the coolest thing that happened to you today? Every day, and so it might be something little, it might be something big, but even if it's little, he remembers it, and it might be something big. Mm-hmm. But yeah, shaming people that that are out there doing the same thing you're doing, as long as they're doing it lawfully and respectfully, then we shouldn't be shaming them for it. We had that happen to the kids this fall. We. Um, I found a spot where the walleye were hitting good, and my youngest daughter, she's she's a little thing, um, <laughs> she caught a 28-inch walleye on her second cast, and she wanted to keep it. And me, I would have put it back, right? I've caught those kind of fish, not a big deal. I put them back. Well, she kept that, and then my oldest daughter caught a 26-inch walleye just a few minutes later. She wanted to keep it. I was like, fine. I said, you guys, you know, you're within the law. It's your limit. You do what you want. Um, Well, long story short, we had four fish between 24 inches and 28 inches and got a picture of the kids with them. They were really proud of them. And some of these, what I call walleye snobs out there, you know, like, oh, you're, you're going to destroy Boyson's fishery. It's like, no, I'm not going to destroy the fishery, you know, with four fish. And I said, that meant the world to my kids. 
you know, but you have those people that they feel that they need to, you know, put you in your place because you did some kind of horrible evil, you know, to the fishery by keeping those four fish. But it's like, you know what? My kids had one of the coolest experiences that they'll ever have in their lives fishing doing right. that and i mean they're never gonna forget that right 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 and and like you said i mean it was it was in a limit if they have a yeah. problem with how the regulations are set take it up with game and fish not my seven-year-old daughter exactly that just caught a trophy walleye right yep. and 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 that's fine and you know and that's what we was kind of talking about earlier they've got to look back when they were that age golly if yeah, can you imagine throwing that fish back? Like, oh no, yeah, you could keep it, but we're gonna put it back in the water and just seeing the, the like, I just reeled this thing in my <laughs> biggest fish, and, you know, the the heartbreak, you know, yeah. you yeah. know, and and but that's they've got to start doing stuff like that. And one of these days, I'm sure your daughter will be like, oh, you know, she'll have kids of her own, and she'll tell them, yeah, we'll keep it, but we won't probably put these back sometimes these are our big egg producers you know well and i i did play a little biology with one of the guys who was pretty vocal about it i said you realize that the 22 inch walleye that you kept is actually a better more prolific breeder than the 28 incher and he's like what do you mean i said go look at the research and the biology their their eggs are more viable whereas a 22 inch walleye is in its prime it's kind of like a laying hen you know that first year to two years of their life they're in their prime they lay lots of eggs yeah. Oh boy, when they get older, it ain't the same. And the, and so it was just kind of an interesting discussion. But I, I feel bad that, you know, there are people who would be just happy to ruin a kid's trip because they want to shame them about what they kept. And it's yeah. like, you know, that's that's not where we should be. Now, did I talk to them about, you know, those bigger walleyes are the better egg producers? Absolutely. And I said, you know, you got to be really careful about how many fish you keep and and went through the science of why. And in the future, they're probably going to want to put them back. You know, after right. having that discussion, but you know what? I wasn't going to ruin that trip for those kids. And that's that's up to them. That's their limit, like yep. you said, to do with the you know, like uh, the the bull, the spike elk. That's their tag. That's mm -hmm. your tag. You know, and the people that's probably the loudest about saying you shouldn't keep that fish or you shouldn't keep that spike elk. If somebody started telling them what they were needed to be doing with their tag or their limits, they'd be the most vocal. Of like you're not going to tell me what to do with my tag and limits, right? Yep. And once again, it just goes back to. You know, we're a small enough community of, of hunters and fishermen. I mean, maybe not in Wyoming. It's for very high percentages out here. But, I mean, nationwide, you know, it's a small enough community. we got to have each other's backs on all this stuff. You know, we can't be mm -hmm. fighting in, amongst us, you know, over, over silly things. Uh, we've got to, you know, stay unified and stay together. So this happens three generations from now. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And this brings me to my next point is, you know, the ones that are under the gun the most right now are the, are the ones trapping because everybody can put a moral you know link on hey trapping is bad and in some aspects i can see some people's point of view but you know we get into the possums the fox the coons you know even into the wolves some of those critters can't be managed on the landscape without that tool and you, you go there's this hierarchy you know if i go out with my kid and we catch a fish and we put a picture on on the internet nobody has a problem i go to shoot a turkey turkeys are pretty ugly nobody has a problem <laughs> right all of a sudden i shoot a deer antelope elk you know people are going eh, that that looks like bambi but I, if you're eating it it's okay but then you move into this moral hierarchy of if you kill a predator a mountain lion or a bear and you put a picture on it oh my goodness the people that come out of the woodwork that you're evil monster and i'm like well you haven't had bear and you definitely haven't had mountain lion because <laughs> delicious but, and it one guy told me a long time ago is it is a little inefficient if you only eat carnivores <laughs> that's, that's a little inefficient way to get your protein 
But if we let those carnivores free on our landscape and get the predator pit, we won't have any ungulates. So we as a outdoor community need to really start having the trappers backs because they've been under fire and bearing the brunt of this anti-movement for a long time and the reason i say that is if i told you i mean fishing is is a, is a kind of a mean sport if if i was to put a pile of corn out in the field and put a treble hook in it with a piece of winch cable and wait till a deer comes <laughs> by and it gets worse if i drag him over to the lake and drag him under the water and hold him down there till he quits flopping you know we'd outlaw hunting that way real quick but fishing you know it's like oh it's a fish it's so i mean no matter what your sport is what you recreate don't pick on the other guy for the way he's doing it right right yeah and talking about that that uh i used to call it charismatic megafauna um but yeah that charismatic megafauna you know where the where you have all the the big doe-eyed you know deer and elk and and the and the stuff but yeah you, like you said with turkeys you know they're kind of ugly people usually don't get upset about frogs snakes frogs oh yeah oh yeah right that's a that's a great you know snakes is a good point oh kill a snake they're nasty what, what? i mean no i mean it's you know like i was saying earlier the the life of that widgeon is no less important to him than my life right and so i've always said that if you'll you know if you're sitting around your house and a spider crawls by you and you smash it with your hand you ought to be able to shoot an elephant in the head they're both living creatures just because one life is, you know, maybe a two day or, or 10 day versus a 70 year. Does that make it difference? And that's where we, as I'm going to get philosophical, that's where we as humans, because we are, we, we can change our landscape. We can either enhance it or destroy it very easily. And that's where we are tasked to, to play that higher role, to conserve, to utilize and to sustain well look at look at the african lion here in the north american continent everybody wants to protect and save the lion if you live in africa you don't really want to protect and save the lion you're worried about your kid i'm serious about this (laughs) yeah and you touched on it you know from the mouse to the elephant they all have a liver they all have a heart they all have lungs they all want to propagate and live and so we have been tasked with managing that and if you look at the north american wildlife conservation model it works i mean it's it's proven that it works and it's the places on this globe where wildlife populations have increased have implemented the north american wildlife conservation model and it's a simple model hunters pay for the right to go hunting those dollars go into supporting habitat and supporting a wildlife officer that then supports a biologist that says hey this is what our season's going to be it's a it's a little bit of a complicated thought of, oh, we're going to go take this one elephant or this one lion or this one elk or this one bass out of this ecosystem. And by being able to utilize this one, that's going to fund dollars to create more habitat for the next widget. Right, right. Getting into the philosophical side of it, yeah. But yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, what was it, Dennis killed that lion a few years ago? Yep. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big thing. Um, and I mean, on on this continent, I mean, you can look at the wolves and the grizzlies. Aren't in Colorado about to reintroduce the wolves down there? Yep, there. And I mean, I'm, it depends on what side of it you're, that you're on. It, but like you said, typically it's the people that don't live around them that want them reintroduced. Um, that's not going to have to worry about their kid going on to, out on the back porch and coming face to face with a grizzly bear. Well, um, while or uh, California has a grizzly bear on its state flag, I, instead of uh, those agencies and those organizations telling wyoming that we can't harvest any grizzly bears i say we start taking our excess ones and or they need to take the grizzly bear off their flag <laughs> i'm all for I, it. I, i'd be scared of what they replace it with be honest with you i don't know what <laughs> yeah, yeah i, I did be, be be careful what there. you wish for careful what you wish for <laughs> but but yeah and, and it's just um it's it's not a I, I, what i've said before is it's it's like an ignorance thing right i'm ignorant of lots of stuff 
right? Because I've not lived around it or experienced it. Doesn't mean I'm dumb or anything, just ignorant, like a big city living. I'm, I'd be, like I said earlier, I'd be lost in the middle of a city. And I, th- I think a lot of people that live in cities are just ignorant of, of the outdoors and, and being con- really connected with nature. Being connected with nature is not just going on a hike and smelling flowers and stuff like that. Being connected with nature is being, you Picking know. Picking mushrooms. You're right, right, yeah. Um, but, like, when, when your wife, you know, shoots a, shoots a cow out like she did a couple of weeks ago, and we go down the bottom of this canyon in the snow and haul this, cut this creature up and haul it out on our back and then get home, process it, and put it in the freezer and eat on it for the rest of the year. That's connected with nature. Yeah, you come over to my yep. house on Friday night. We're going to have a barbecue. I pull out cow elk steaks that I helped procure but store, prepare. Now I'm fully integrated in that whole cycle right. of life. And it's way different when I put that burger on the on the plate for you to eat. The pride I have in, hey, look at this than if I went down to the Walmart and bought a beef patty and yeah cooked a nice hamburger and if that's what people do that's fine i mean more power to you i mean i'm not going to judge you for what you do just don't judge me for what i do right until you i mean go go out and try that go out and get your own animal get the meat grinder learn how to process it from removing all the parts that are inedible and then put it through the grinder season it and put it on the stove and cook it i mean once you've seen that whole picture from start to finish it's a it's a lot different than opening the cellophane package and putting it on the grill yeah I, i remember that winter we were out here when we moved we we brought a freezer, but we didn't couldn't bring a lot of meat with us, so we had to buy more stuff from the store than we were used to. Because back home, I would I would harvest about seven or eight whitetails a year and and put them in the freezer, and uh, that's all of our grind. But we had to buy some ground meat. And my wife was cooking, and I come in the house and I said, "What stinks in here?" And she looked around at me. She's like, "I think I'm gonna get sick. I can't even hardly cook beef anymore." You know, uh, <laughs> but that was some Walmart beef. We get we we do get some beef now. We got some friends at ranch, so they. We, we buy it from them when we want it, but yeah, that's the best way to get beef. I mean, I, I think our family, it's been 15 years maybe now that we've just bought Wyoming beef. Yeah. And so when we buy beef, we just find, you know, neighbors and friends and buy beef from them. And man, it's, it's a lot different than what you pick up at Walmart. Yeah. It sounds like we're kind of giving Walmart a hard time on this podcast. <laughs> but, uh, we love you, Walmart. We, we got to get toilet paper somewhere. That's <laughs> right. But, um, I think they're out right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're pro- they probably, if they're not out right now, they're about to be out again. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just a different just different way of living. I think Wyomingites do it better than anybody else in the country as a as a whole. I really think they do because they're. I mean, because you, even your farmers and ranchers, I got some real good friends that are ranchers. They hunt a little bit, but they eat their sheep and and cattle that they eat. Oh yeah, or you know that they raise and and uh, but I mean, talking about connected to the land. I mean, they're out there every day too. I mean, I mean, there's very few. Uh, people in Wyoming that's not connected to their land in one way or another. Um, and that's I think that's kind of what makes this state really unique and, and such an awesome place to live and yeah. work and play and do whatever. Yeah, David and I raised our own pigs this year. And, I mean, it's a, that's a process, man, raising animals and butchering animals and putting them away. I mean, it's a lot of work, well, but we, it's so we, good. We threw two elk on top of that, and we put the pigs down the same week that the two elk were hanging. So You're it, a glutton for punishment. Yeah, that's what man. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, but we did a couple hundred pounds of breakfast sausage. Mm-hmm. I did a, I don't, I haven't weighed it yet, but it's, it's at least 50, 60 pounds of bacon. And you know, Patrick, that's good. I'm, I'm a fan of bacon. Oh, man. I'm, yeah, I like bacon. You know, of course, pig, they say you can eat everything but the squeal. So do you, do you make any <laughs> do you make any sauce? Do you make any head cheese? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm I'm not a big head cheese fan. Mm, that's some good stuff. I'm from the south. You know, we eat anything. So that's good stuff. <laughs> now, chitlin. Did you keep the chitlins? Yeah, we kept the mm, uh, all. I'll the, pass on those. I've had them before. <laughs> we kept all the extra fat 
you know, we can render that down. I mixed it with everything. I still got a huge box of fat. So I think we're going to maybe make some candles. Yeah. Oh, some. Mm. Smells made, like bacon. Right? We made uh we made lard this year again. I, I try to make it every year and take the cracklings off of that and some of them you eat, you know, and then the what I found that works really well is if you have chickens. Because what I do is I'll put the pork through the grinder and then render the lard. So you've got it in nice small pieces, right? And then you get all that lard out of there so that you can make your pies, which are so good by the way. But you take what's left over from that, make a block, put it out for your chickens. And they eat on that. It's like suet, you know, kind mm-hmm. of deal. And those chickens love it. And it's good for them right before winter, which is when we're doing the, the butchering of the, the hogs. So it helps with the chickens to store up some fat as well to get into the winter. Oh, well, you know, y'all was talking about, you know, raising pigs and raising chickens and, and doing that. Uh, I, you know, in my in my book, that would be harder for me to do. Animal that I've cared for and raised. And it's you fine. see it every year yeah. with the 4-H kids, right? When they show their sheep and their cows and then they sell them and, you know, they're just crying you know that would be me man i think i'd cry if i had to sell my cow you know that i you know raised from a calf but i mean that's what farmers or ranchers do right i mean yeah. they, you know, raise it up and and, th- and that really by doing that it really makes you want to utilize all of it you know you don't want to have anything to go to waste there but but yeah now cracklings are good y'all heard what i you know chitlins is what i mentioned a while ago you kept the chitlins out of it oh okay he says no i thought he said <laughs> crack no chitlins no you know so what's a chitlin oh that's the large intestine that's what i yeah, thought yeah you, blow out with a garden hose and then cut it in pieces and fry it up that's a negative on me some people like them boiled but i don't know how people eat them boiled i i don't think i could handle the smell of it being boiled honestly <laughs> no nah, i think it's pretty barnyard at, at yeah. whitetail camp last week you know i harvested uh my whitetail pretty early in the week and so we had uh i fried the heart one night breaded floured seasoned and there's a couple guys that never had that before and they went i'm gonna start keeping heart because that was Mm -hmm. delicious now i've tried several times to cook liver and onions i just i'm sorry i'm not a fan i'm not a big fan of liver either it's a uh it's the oil filter of the body literally is what it is so i'm not a never it's real rich but uh, talking about doing the heart so on one of we talking about meat eater other on this coos deer hunt in arizona if you i don't know if you've seen it i'm going this year by the way are you boy my my son will be jealous he wants to go coos deer hunting i was like they're just like a mini whitetail you know i drew drew a heavy tag so we're gonna go chase javelina and then i'm gonna pick up a coos deer tag while there that'll be fun that'll be fun but on that on that meat eater hunt he he harvested a coos deer and he took the call fat you know, the webbing mm-hmm. of fat. Mm-hmm. And he took the heart out of that coos deer and wrapped the heart I in the call fat, right? And then cooked it over fire. Well, my wife killed her first buck antelope last season. And she put like kind of a neck shot on it. So the call fat was good. So I was able to save that. Of course, our son was with us. He, and the whole time he's like, we got to keep the call fat because he just watched that episode, right? He was six. <laughs> got to keep the call fat. I mean, how many six years old? So I like, <laughs> how many, you got to keep the call fat and keep, keep the heart. So well, anyway. I have not popped an eyeball out and, and chewed fat. the fat yet. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so I did the wrapped it up and we took it back and uh, we were actually camping at Bass Lake uh, over there on nine ninety seven and and I put it on the grill and cooked that heart you know wrapped in that call fat it was unbelievably good no other seasoning just the call fat yeah, and, the heart, and it it worked that the hardest part is is harvesting that call fat because it's so it's like lace I mean it's try to pull it out of there so you have to lay out a game bag and lay it out get to the heart real fast and wrap it up before it dries. And, and get it and when it dries it'll be real hard but when that when when you cook it that that fat just kind of hardens around that heart and it's it really melts that flavor oh man, it is really good i was 
I was impressed. I was so every time we shoot something, he's like, "Did you get the call fat? Did you get the call fat?" Yeah. I also like the kidney fat off of animals, like uh, especially our pigs. The kidney fat that wraps around that organ. If you want to make the best lard ever, get the kidney fat. That stuff is so good. I think if we did have any vegetarians listening to the podcast, we <laughs> lost them in the last five minutes of discussion. Yeah, we probably lost them a while ago. <laughs> well, if they lasted this long, they're probably out now. <laughs> It's all the good stuff. That's the thing about procuring meat, whether it be fish or big game or whatever you're doing. I mean, there's just, there's just something special about that process and being a part of that process. I, you know, you talked about being young and doing it and you're doing that with your kids. Same with me. My dad would go to the Hovac and take a trip in, you know, for a week, week and a half with pack horses and bring back elk, moose, you know, whatever he had that year. And from the time I was big enough to help wrap the meat I was wrapping it or you know once I got big enough to hold a knife and cut it I was cutting it and you really do have a much bigger appreciation for that kill and for that for that meat every time you go to the freezer and go pull out a package of stew meat or backstrap steaks or whatever you really have an appreciation for it yeah and you know talking about that you know my dad yeah he he got me into hunting you know you know whitetail and stuff and uh, he doesn't hunt near as much as he used to, but I kind of took it, you know, one step further. I'm kind of the biggest hunter of the family, and and um, but you know, talking about that, that's that's how we got into it, right? And so maybe three of us sitting at this table, or you know, our kids are going to be in it, right? Because that's what we do. But maybe we should challenge ourselves to find a kid that is not going to have that exposure to it. Yep. Or, or or an adult for that matter, you know, just say, hey, you know, anybody want to go hunting? You I, know, I like your idea for a show. I think we need to find a couple of people maybe somebody from like denver and somebody from seattle and say hey come out to wyoming we're going to give you an outdoor experience and you know take them fishing on boyson for a day you know maybe take them we know the guy don't we we yeah, know exactly we, we know the guy we do we're not gonna mention his name but we know him he's him a good time but yeah i mean and just have him experience it and be right. like this is this is the real deal start here. to finish yep catch them clean them cook them eat them you appreciate a lot more once you've done all that well it, you yeah, at least it maybe not appreciate it, but at least respect it. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know, they might not appreciate it, but they'll, <laughs> they'll at least respect what we do, you know, yeah. I think. And then, but are you going to go to Seattle? Well, you're already from Oregon, you know, but you're going to go to Seattle. You're going to volunteer to be the other guy to go out there. I don't there? know, man. You guys going to come with me? I don't even like sick. Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I come in here this morning. I was like, you want a cup of coffee? I was like, yeah. They like, we got all kinds. I said, I just need black with sugar. That's fine by me. See, they see me coming a mile away. I don't look like Seattle type, so I don't know. But it would be fun. It would be cool to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, I'm a would. big hot chocolate fan, and Seattle can even ruin hot chocolate. No. <laughs> <laughs> Starbucks did not make a good cup of hot chocolate. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that'd be a fun experience, though, I think, to yeah, get people out and i mean you know like a f- fishing would be easy uh you know if they somebody drew a you know a doe antelope tag that'd be an easy one well mm-hmm. i don't know i sometimes think i have better luck on bucks than i do on does sometimes but bucks are a little bit more stupid sometimes they like, can be uh, silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're uh and that's the thing with antelope you know people you know back home like man i want to come out hunting out west i want to go elk hunting and i'm like easy slow your roll a little bit <laughs> slow your roll slow your roll you, you know what you're asking it's not it's not as easy as just start working out now right yeah start climbing <laughs> the biggest hills you can find and i've got two of my friend two of my best friends back home still live in tennessee and so every year 
uh, they come out and go archery elk hunting with me while they're putting in for preference points. And so that first year we got one, and uh, we deboned everything, and we we bivy hunt, we we hammock hunt back in mm-hmm. back in the wilderness areas. And first year we was in the winds, and that pack out was twelve miles. Oh boy. Um, and that was like a day and a half of like 110 pound, 115 pound packs, you know, to get out with it. But anyway, that's a long story. So, but they was willing to come back the next year. So crazy. So they come back and, you know, we didn't get one that year or, or this year, but like this year we had, um, hammocking at over 10,000 feet. First few days was in the snow. We're in their hammocks. You know, we, in 10 days, we had 11 different bulls within 60 yards and just, it was an angle. It was a step. It was a bush. It, y'all, know, y'all know how it is, right? And they are just completely hooked on elk hunting. They love it. And they've only been in on shooting one and it was an absolute misery getting him out, but they, they are eat up with it, right? I mean, I talked to one of them on the way up here, you know, and he said, what are you doing today? I said, well, I'm going to be a guest on a podcast show. And he said, have you ever even listened to a podcast? I went, nope, sure hadn't. <laughs> he said, well, you're going to go from not listening to any to being a, a guest on us. I, I guess so. I guess that's, that's awesome. Fun. So, uh, but, Well, there's uh, something about those hunts that, in my mind, you know, the ones that were easy, and my wife's had uh, three elk tags, and all three have been loaded hole in the back of the truck. I've never had an elk hole in the back of the truck when it's been my tag. But, you know, I just got home from this doll sheep hunt a couple months ago, and that one was... You want to talk about some misery. You want to talk about some, you know, 50 miles and you talk about hammocking and backpack food. You, you, you suffer a little bit, right? Right. You, you lay down at night and your body says, oh, thank goodness we're not going to move for a little bit. <laughs> Don't do this again tomorrow. <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, you know, as, as some time and space and distance gets away from some of those more miserable trips, those are the more memorable. Those are the ones I want to repeat for some reason. I'm not sure if I want to repeat some of them. But now, and it's the ones that really stand out in your mind. They really are like after that. That was my first first year hunting as a resident in Wyoming, and you know, and that was that was in September when we did that. And every like when my my wife shot the her first bull in the canyon, and then shot the cow in the canyon another day. I mean, looking at anything like that, oh, we'll get him out, no problem. I mean, it it has set a perspective for me, and I think that's a big thing wrong with some people. They don't have enough perspective on things, right, and think things, the times are real bad or whatever. Well, you just need a little perspective, and sometimes you get that whether you want it or not, but the perspective that you gain off of those bad hunts or those long days of fishing that you don't catch anything makes you enjoy the great days or the easy days. You appreciate them. Oh, I I came home, and I appreciated just walking to the sink, and you turn this little (laughs) silver knob, water comes out. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, right, right. It's amazing. Yeah, after 10 days in the mountains my wife really appreciated that i was actually going to use those silver knobs and take a shower yeah showers are good um (laughs) you know it's like yeah the electricity flip a switch turn a turn a faucet home water you know just your basic necessities that people a lot of people can't live without i don't know why we're glutton for punishment but we we put ourselves out in the wilderness and 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 love to do it and and people look at us like we're crazy and that's okay yeah Yeah. well i might have have a hobby i might have been walleye fishing the other night and the stars (laughs) Over over Boyson Lake, where uh, oh man, they were pretty cool. That's yeah. an epic thing to to either be fishing, you know, the reservoir itself or down below, and you just look up and you see all that, and it's just like wow. And yeah. there's people that live in cities with so much light pollution that don't haven't seen the stars. Right. And I mean, I take those for granted now because mm-hmm. that's I live outside. Yeah, yeah. So you look look up and you're you're like wow, you know. Just we're just a blip on a and nothing, you know, compared to the universe, but just a small little insignificant thing down here. But man, it's just so cool to look up at the Milky Way and just the majesty of it all. Yeah. So if you're out there in one of those concrete jungles, take a trip to a pick a state that doesn't have light pollution and just 
Just go outside one night yeah. and just stare. Well, whenever somebody comes to visit Wyoming from wherever y'all, mm-hmm. <laughs> we choose somebody, right? Let them have that Wyoming experience. Make them sleep outside. But, boy, some of these nights I, I do appreciate having a house when it's blowing about 50 miles an hour and snowing and you're like, them poor, you know, mm-hmm. antelope out there in the middle of the prairie. You know, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad worse for them than anybody, any animal out there because they just put, they just live out there and put up with it. You know, they're elk tough. or a deer, they'll, they'll find a hole or a tree <clears> or something, you know, some woods. Man, those antelope. Much, much respect for those guys. Yeah, you know. bison, you know, all the other critters, even my horses when I look out in the pasture, they, they put their butt to the wind, right? Mm-hmm. Bison stand there, and they put their faces to the wind. They're just, those critters are tough. Yeah. I remember growing up in Cheyenne, you got all of those antelope. I mean, that's one of the highest density antelope populations anywhere. And I remember driving out north, out by Chugwater, which is one of the windiest places on the planet that's I where mean, the semis take naps right yeah they <laughs> fall over and take naps over yeah it's nap. crazy but there was this one hillside we just had a huge snowstorm come through and there were a bunch of these little lumps on the side of the hill and it was antelope that had just bedded down on the back side of the hill and the snow had kind of piled up on them and they were just hanging out you know no big deal i think it was like an insulated blanket for them yeah but man they're tough and they are. It's and, insane. You know, that was the first thing that I hunted out west back in, I guess it was like 09. And, uh, you know, talked to some locals. They're like, oh, y'all drove out all the way out here to shoot a prairie maggot, you know? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, they're not any good to eat. I was like, oh, oh okay. come on. Oh, they're, they're man, dead they wrong. are the, but they're my favorite. My they're wife's so good. favorite. I mean, we had elk. Elk, let's see. Uh, zoodles, zucchini noodles and, and mm-hmm. elk last night. Uh, and I like elk, but. I have not had anything in Wyoming that beats antelope and pronghorn. Antelope's you know, good. Oh, man, it's so good. Now, I've had this discussion a couple of times, and what I think the answer is is some people, you know, like when you shoot an elk, it's a 900-pound elk. It's typically in the mountains, usually cool, and you've got a 900-pound animal. It takes a long time to accumulate enough body heat to, to spoil that meat. An antelope, you're talking 90-pound antelope, and you're usually hunting them in the prairies in the heat. You know, it doesn't take very long. I mean, we, we get the hide off and the guts out in 15 minutes yep. and put them Wait. on ice. Yep. I yep. carry a cooler full of ice with me yep. every time I go antelope And that's hunting. why you like antelope. That's right. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's just something that every antelope hunter should learn. Yep. Carry a cooler with ice with you. Be prepared <laughs> to get one because unless you just can't shoot, you will probably get one. Unless you just miss them. But, yeah, you got to gotta get that meat cooled down. But it is the absolute best. I mean, and anybody that's that's ate it, that, you know, that I've cooked it for, they're, they're like, wow, you know. My wife, she loves it. Yeah, mine, mine does too. But, I mean, we, only, we drew two buck tags this year and didn't draw any doe tags. And that's why I put her in for that cow elk because instead of getting four antelope does like we did last year, we didn't, we didn't have those doe antelope tags. And so she's like, I was like, well, I bought you a you know, leftover cow tag for elk. She's like, oh, man, that sounds hard. <laughs> and it was. It turned out being hard. Well, you got the meat. Got the meat. And, yeah, I ate some of it last night. So, Well, I always put in for those leftover cow tags as the uh, as the backup, right, because I like to do the archery elk thing. But I'm, I, I want a big one if I'm going to go. Right. And so you know, I, I did harvest a bull, and then my wife drew her bull tag, and I put her in for a harder tag that I didn't think she'd draw. She shot a really nice bull. Now we have these two cow tags, and I I don't know if we're gonna go cow elk hunting. Let's put them on a sandwich, eat them tags, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'll probably eat, I have a couple tag sandwiches this year. That's what my wife was telling me, or uh, she was talking about. It. She said, "Have you what, what?" She's like looking back. She's like, "What have you even shot this year?" And I said, "A buck antelope." That's all I've shot, you know. I didn't get an elk, and but I was with her. She got her elk. She got you know her first mule deer buck and got it with a crossbow. She got her antelope. I was with a friend of mine. Got a hundred and seventy inch four point mule deer, nice muley. With another friend when 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 he killed and uh, took my father in law and he killed his second 
mule deer and biggest one to date. And so I told her, I said, and it was back a few weeks ago, I said, I'm going to the mountains just for John. You know, we somebody would like to take people and, and show them our experience, but I was to the point like, I want to just go for John, you know, and I went up there after, you know, chasing a general mule deer tag and uh, had a good, I'll show you a picture later, but had a pretty good five point the the first afternoon right down the hill you know could have could have shot him but i was like i just got here i've got two full days right so i didn't shoot him he was a mature deer i mean grown deer you know he wasn't a 170 if 170 i'd probably got him but but the next morning i had 15 bull elk come 200 yards from me and did not have an elk tag and my, but my buddy uh did and i called him and called my wife and so they they left at like 3 30 in the morning and come up and she killed her cow elk the next day so by me passing on that very respectable mule deer and turning my hunt into my wife's hunt <laughs> mm-hmm. she got her cow elk you know and we we got that tag field but it was funny so I've, I've had i think i've had one afternoon of hunting or one no an afternoon and a day of hunting just by myself you know but it's so much fun to take other people you know me and my buddies back comments even when we were whitetail hunting it's almost no fun to go by yourself anymore the older you get and the more experiences you have the more you kind of want to share it with other people and you know when you do have that luck and harvest an animal you want to turn around and be able to high five or give somebody a hug i mean i know i'm sure y'all have too y'all been on these hunts and with these guys you've been living in the woods with for five six seven eight nine days and you know you finally harvest something and you turn around and just give them a big old man hug you know that's <laughs> that's when you know you got close during the hunt you're like oh man you know so i mean it's just it's just a, a fun experience to 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 do it with somebody else or, or vice versa you know they somebody else fill a tag you know when my buddy got that uh that that really nice mule deer uh, the day before he had passed on a five by five probably a 140 inch deer and uh he was on it and i heard the safety go off and i said he's fixing to shoot this deer and he didn't he come off of his gun he's killed he grew up out here he's killed some really nice deer and he came off of his gun i looked at him i said i'm proud of you i'm proud of you i said you know there's a bigger one up here because he had seen him the weekend before <laughs> so he, he knew he, he had yeah. in his mind that he knew there was a bigger one he said yeah that's tough not to shoot that one though i said yeah but we're way back in here so so explain you know, this to me because we have the same dilemma at my camp mm-hmm. right is if you're around the truck we'll shoot spikes no problem great right you get a mile in, it's it's got to be a, a decent, maybe maybe not mature, but, you know, it's got to be have some horns. You get two, three miles in, it better be, you know, either a six-point or a four-point, you know. <laughs> Getting trophy status. <laughs> it better be, it, you, you know, three miles is kind of, it better be trophy status. If we go to the six or eight miles, it better be phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime status or we're not shooting it. Right. But we need to turn that on our heads because, you know, that phenomenal at six, eight, 10, 12 miles is going to weigh a lot more than the spike. <laughs> so that, That's right. So that's it right. should be only right around the truck we shoot the phenomenal and then a mile away it should be like, <laughs> right. And we're so deep right now, boys. Only spikes. Yeah. Yeah. We're only shooting uh, the, the, the smallest thing we see. We're, st- we're too far in. Yeah. We were talking about that. I, I told my buddy when I showed him a picture of the mule deer that I passed, because I took a picture of it through my binoculars and, and uh, then I ended up passing a, a 10 point white, well, I guess five by five whitetail the last day of general deer season he was i jumped him up and i was like is he big enough and when he crested the hill i went oh yeah he was big enough and i never did get a shot at him and but uh, he said he said so he said you're just an old trophy hunter now and i said you know i don't i'm not sure if i'm a trophy hunter or if i'm just lazy i'm not sure <laughs> which one that is you know because yeah I'm, I'm like you the further in i am you know like ah i just appreciate seeing it you know and that's what i told him buddy he's like I, if i see a forky it's i'm gonna shoot a forky i'm like man we're like five miles back in here and i was like we, we can shoot a forky somewhere closer to the truck you know you know not that i'm a you know i'd have helped him haul it out though if he got a forky but not I'd, probably get, I'd probably give him a hard time. I might, you know, you can shame your friends. You can, <laughs> yes. you can hunt, shame your hunting buddies. That's, yeah, what, you, we're, yeah, exactly. that's what we're here for. You for know? All in good fun. That. That's right. Yeah. That's right. 
talking about ones you appreciate seeing. My wife didn't appreciate seeing about a 180-inch muley buck last year on our cow elk hunt. We're sitting on a ridge, you know, and there's timber below us and open sage. This buck come out of that timber about an hour before dark and fed the whole time, maybe 90 yards below us. And she kept turning me, are you sure I can't turn my cow elk tag in for a buck tag? I'm like, no, you cannot do that. But it was a, it was a dandy buck. Yeah, that's, uh, well, I've only killed uh, one mule deer buck, right? And that was uh, two years ago. My wife had that bull tag, and I had been joking all year, right, because she drew her first bull elk tag. And I said, well, you know, general deer opens up up there the, that same day. I said, I'm going to carry my rifle with me, and I'm going to shoot this old slob knocker mule deer while you elk hunting. And I was, I kept saying this joke, right? Well, lo and behold, we got there. Well, the elk wasn't there. It was like five degrees. It's super cold. We went out on this ridge, and there was a bunch of mule deer, and there was a you know, five by five mule deer down there. And I looked at him and I, it was kind of a far shot. And I looked at her and I had my actual father-in-law or her dad was with us too. And, and he went on around the corner and I said, man, that's a good mule deer. I said, let's go on down and see if we see any more elk sign. Well, I was really wanting to get a little closer, see how that mule deer was. Well, we got down there and sat down and lo and behold, that mule deer come back out in about 150 yards. And I had to, you know, I actually looked at my wife and asked her permission before I shot this mule deer, right? I like, I like, honey, uh, honey uh, can I please let me shoot this? She's like, yes, you can shoot it. So I shot it, and I mean, it was a, uh, I think it ended up scoring 157, you know, which is not a giant muley, but my first and only ever mule deer, you know. And so. And I, coming from whitetail country, 157 you, inch right. deer is a, a That's my deer. biggest deer, right? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, um, but uh, I was able to drive the ranger to him, so that that wasn't too bad of a hunt in, in the snow. But, but yeah, having to turn around and ask your wife permission to shoot it deer that's probably not an experience most guys have <laughs> but she was like yeah and we ended up getting her bull elk yeah. so but there wasn't any elk sign i i didn't feel like i ruined her hunt by shooting that deer but, but it was definitely a lot of fun yeah well it's been awesome having you on the show yep. i want to thank you um it's been a lot of fun i think we're gonna have to have you back so we can chat some more it yeah it's been yeah. a lot of fun yeah let's do it let's pick a pick another topic we'll talk about whatever yeah we covered a whole there, lot make today. sure you stop by and Go hang out at Boyston State Park and say hi. That's yes. right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't work. Uh, I don't work all the time. I make the most of my time off. So, so holler at me sometime. Don't ask me for all, any of the good fishing spots because I don't fish it much. I'll just, I'll just go with y'all and, and GPS them while I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I don't think there's any good fishing no. spots out there. There's no <laughs> fish. There's no fish. Well, you, uh, I know game and fish here is that some. There's no fish in the lake. And, you know, I see the, the guys that go every day, you know, they go out there, and they go out there every day for a reason. And there's some there's some phenomenal fishermen that fish it every day yep. out there. Well, 80% of the fish and game are harvested by 20% of the sportsmen. So somebody oh. knows what they're doing out there. Right. So, yeah, everybody, if you want to go check out Boyson State Park, I highly recommend it. It's my favorite place to go. Of course, it's my local place to go, but phenomenal fishery. They've got everything, uh, crappie, perch, walleye, tr amazing trout fishery. Pheasants, cat. ducks, yeah. geese, antelope, <laughs> Even chucker. a few chuckers around there. There's I mean, a there's, few chuckers. There's yeah. a little bit of everything The pheasants there. over at San Mesa, San Mesa, yep. pheasant, pheasant. Well, only, what, two places in the state where they mm -hmm. put them. So that's, yep. that's going on this month. Yep, so, I've been be sure you get your already. special pheasant permit, the game and fish. Yep, get your there. get your pheasant permit and have some fun. I think there's some bighorn sheep right there around the dam. Yep, too. there are bighorn sheep every once in a while. You yeah. see them. There's there's so, some deer and turkeys even. Um, a few turkeys. Turkeys yep. are tough. Yep, yep. and they're around. There there's a few of them. I saw a bighorn sheep last week over there on the. You typically see them on the west side of the dam down there yep. low. They'll come down and drink out of the river. Yep, absolutely. So definitely go check it out and then of course go to radcastoutdoors.com to check out you know our podcast and um, we'll have some information in the show notes for the state parks uh, to be able to promote that so definitely check that out and then uh, go to Facebook and Instagram and check us out as well 
yeah, share this episode. We ha- do have uh, some T-shirts if you if you want to support us that way, and so get get the word out there so we can keep doing this. I so. appreciate y'all having me. It was yep. a blast. Let's do it again. Yeah, thanks again. <laughs>